Hello, and welcome to Stops and Starts, a women's hockey podcast. I am your host, Lindsay Glavin. Um, here's what you need to know about me. I am a mom. I love hockey. Um, I used to play hockey, played NCAA hockey, uh, graduating in 2005 at Mercyhurst. I'm a casual men's hockey fan um, and just really enjoy all the media and um, conversation around women's hockey. And honestly, a lot of times I just think that there needs to be more. Um, And so I thought I would try to be a part of it um, and uh, use this outlet as somewhere to share my hockey thoughts. Um, If we look at the media landscape of of women's hockey and the the media that surrounds it, honestly, it's pretty pretty good. I think a person who cares about women's hockey can follow it. Um, The levels of production in terms of games um, and stuff like that, not the product on the ice, the product on the ice is great, Um, but the production of, you know, the stream or the commentary that goes with it, the gamers that get written... um, the podcasts that get discussed there's it's pretty good but I think there's always just so much more room for for more and I think that when you compare obviously when you compare women's hockey uh, or women's sports to men's sports the media landscapes don't compare the the men's is much more developed funded um supported more um more people in the space including consumers um but even when you compare and so I don't necessarily think that's um almost not even a relevant um, comparison when we look at the media landscape around women's hockey. But even when we look at women's hockey as compared to other women's sports, um, the media around women's hockey just really is lagging, um, again, in terms of who's participating, who's consuming. Um, and I think that that's not, a ref- that's not a bad reflection of anyone who's already involved in the space is merely the fact that hockey is, whether we like it or not, a niche sport relative to, like, um, women's soccer or women's basketball. Um, But at the same time, um, I think for those of us who care deeply about women's hockey, there's a question of, you know, do we think we can close this gap between us and women's soccer and us and women's basketball in terms of coverage? Um, And so that's something that I'm really interested in and something that I hope that by me participating just in the teeniest, tiniest way starts to um, just contributes basically to that ball of momentum that people are trying to build up in terms of creating more coverage and conversation around women's hockey. Um, One of the things that um, caught my eye this year, so we know that viewership for women's sports is growing um, because it is getting more opportunities to be shown um, whether on television or streamed or what have you, but uh, volleyball, which is a sport that I don't don't follow, um, the NCAA championship was shown on ESPN, and they had close to six hundred thousand viewers for their their championship game, um, and those are numbers that, frankly, um, for a non Olympic hockey game, just for women's hockey, wouldn't wouldn't occur. Um, I believe the NWHL, when it was on NBC Sports Network, um, they averaged about a hundred thousand, or a hundred thousand was their peak. I can't recall. Um, so we in women's hockey, we just have um, all kinds of uh, um, opportunity to increase conversation around our sport. And that's what I would like to do with my podcast because um, I have uh, just a, a wonderful appreciation for the game, um, for the players on the ice and for 
all of those folks who have contributed to the media um, in the past and still currently. Um, they make the game um, capable of being followed. Um, you know, 10 years ago, it was very difficult for someone who doesn't live in a women's hockey market to follow the game. I don't uh, live in an NCAA market. I'm in the Cleveland area. Um, it, so I don't live in an NCAA market. I don't live in a pro market. Um, and yet I feel like I can follow the game and, and be a part of it. Um, uh, in many thanks to the folks that cover the game, um, that small dedicated group that we do have. Um, so uh, I think anyone who's a women's hockey fan is, is sort of forever in debt to that crowd. Um, and on that note, just, you know, the pod podcast space in particular is really exploding. And I can tell you that, and, and if there's any area where I think women's hockey is lacking right now, I think the podcast area is one area. Um, there's getting to be a ton of podcasts out there for women's hockey where they'll do like interviews and stuff like that. And they're wonderful. Um, one that I would mention is the Sammy Joe small podcast. It's like she interviews basically people, um, from the women's game in Canada, tons of hockey Canada people. Um, and, and listening to her podcast is basically like going to a women's hockey hall of fame and just the stuff that you learn and the history that you glean. Um, and that's an interview style podcast. Now there are getting to be a whole bunch of those. Um, and they're great, but I think that where there's room right now, is for a hockey podcast that talks about um, the current state of the game. Certainly those have existed in the past. I think the gold standard was the Ice Garden's top shelf. I don't know that they're producing these days. Um, and understandably so. I mean, there was like 750 days without a um, IIHF game and counting. Um, and all the other things, all the other blows that women's hockey has had, plus the pandemic. So I can understand why the Ice Garden's top shelf would be taking a break, um, but they're certainly the gold standard, I think, so far from my perspective, in terms of a podcast that actually talks hockey um, for women on the women's side. Um, years ago, I used to listen to a podcast called She Shoots, She Scores, which was hosted by a duo out of Montreal, uh, very CWHL-focused, and again, it was wonderful. Um, but again, that particular podcast had run its course. So right now I just think that there is, um, some, some room in the podcast arena, lots of room, to be honest, for anyone who's passionate about women's hockey to start talking about it. I had thought about, you know, do I want to do, should I have a, a co-host? Um, the reality is I would love to have a co-host. So if you're listening to this and you want to, and you want to co-host, you want to chat with me, etc. Um, let's do it. Uh, the only thing I thought was that um, I didn't want to get in, you know, scope creep of any project is a nasty thing. And I felt like, um, you know, for, for me personally, you know, as a mom um, with a job, a house to look after, etc. You know, do I have time to be editing a podcast or do I want to just talk into a microphone, hit publish and get on with it? So um, I would love to have a co-host, um, but we would just need to chat about the, the production side of it because um, I think that there's an added ele element of challenge once you have to coordinate schedules and, um, and you know, just recording, etc. Um, so, but then the flip side of it is, you know, how much, uh, how much more entertaining is, is one with the co-host or, or interviews. Um, so we'll see what the future holds. Uh, in the meantime, I just wanted to jump in the game and start offering my 
um, sharing my thoughts. Um, I wouldn't claim to be um, an authoritative figure or anything like that, but uh, certainly on the men's side, there's no shortage of people just dumping their opinions, and, and really, um, this is going to be no different. Um, I wanted to just uh, mention what basically my, my dream is for, for women's hockey on the media side. I don't know that we have anyone who um, earns a full-time income, benefits, etc., just being a person that covers women's hockey 100%. Um, and I think that that has to be in some ways, and, and if it is, please educate me. If there is that person, please educate me. Um, but I think that, so, so many of the people who do this work, they, they do a couple of jobs or it's a side gig to do women's hockey or they cover women's hockey and another sport. Um, but I think to have that person in women's hockey, covering women's hockey, who lives and breathes the sport, who loves it, who, who doesn't, you know, just want to get assigned women's hockey because they're the woman at the newsroom, um, but somebody who really, really wants to be doing it um, and finding that person and that news organization that will invest in somebody to do it full time. I think that that, for me, like when we reach that day, that's going to be just a great day for women's hockey. Um, I think about it um, in other women's sports, you know, a Meg Linehan who works at The Athletic, She's a full-time, I think for a while there, she was the only full-time women's soccer um, reporter in the nation that people knew of. Um, and, and recently they just hired another writer um, to be full-time for women's soccer. Um, but So that just shows you how, how um, even in soccer, which is huge relative to women's hockey, um, just how tough it is to, to get to that point where we have one person who gets to devote their, their career to covering that one women's sport that they are passionate about. So I'm looking forward to the day that we have a women's hockey Meg Linehan. And then the, another comparison is on the women's basketball side. Latrina Robinson, who works for ESPNW, just all in on women's basketball. She went to Wake Forest, graduated probably 20 years ago, um, and has just been carving out a space for herself in women's basketball on the media side. And she's full-time devoted to the covering that sport, and there's nobody better, uh, just a wonderful person to um, listen to and learn about women's basketball from. Um, so I'm looking forward to the day that we get there for women's hockey. Um, just a full-time person who is devoted to covering the sport. Um, I wanted to just mention, because the, the women's hockey podcast space is, there's a lot, like there are lots of podcasts out there. And like I said, it's great. Um, and those folks sort of inspire me to jump in as well. Um, I mentioned Sammy Joe Small's podcast, which is on the hockey news. You have to subscribe to the hockey news and kind of scroll down um, to find Sammy Joe. She's got about nine or ten episodes. Uh, Women's Hockey Life has been in the space working for years, creating content. Um, Cammy and AJ's Cammy and AJ on the bus is another. Um, those are two women's hockey legends who are now doing a podcast. They're not as women's hockey focused, but because of their stature, they certainly get some of the the best in the game to chat to about hockey on occasion and they're just a wonderful listen as well um, one that i'm really enjoying is called tee it up it's hosted by uh, brooke avery and lindsey eastwood who are syracuse alums the only thing there is their podcast is on youtube and you can't listen to it on apple um, as far as i know uh, but theirs is theirs is wonderful very hockey focused um, and probably the most in line right now with what I am looking for, um, the Founding Four podcast by Erica Ayala. 
is another um, hockey, very hockey-focused one, which is um, with an NWHL focus. So there's a whole bunch out there, and there's one that I'm not naming um, that I discovered recently, which I should... It's called, like, Daily daily Hockey... College Hockey Talk. It's a daily... It's called College Hockey Talk. It's by a young fellow named Matthew, and it's um, he has just a ton of interviews up with women in the game. Um, so that's another one that is on my list to check out. Um, one of the reasons, another reason I think we need like a women's hockey podcast right now that's devoted to truly talking about the hockey is because this is a huge year coming up for women's hockey. Um, for starters, 2022 is going to be the 50th anniversary of Title IX. Um, so that'll, that'll get some attention down here in the United States. Um, and there's going to be a lot of benchmarking, like where is women's hockey or where, you know, whatever, fill in the blank of whatever sport you care about, um, looking at how far it's come and how far it still has to go. And I don't think we should be looking around going, geez, there's not even anyone talking on a podcast about women's hockey, about the, the daily hockey stuff. Um, so I wanted to just make sure I am, um, participating and just chatting about the game. Uh, it's a big year for, um, it's always a big year for, for the NWHL. They're going into year seven, um, and it'll be an Olympic year again. Again, they don't have any Olympians right now, um, but uh, they had increased their salary cap to 300000 um, uh this year, and so there will be some buzz around that league. The most important thing I'm looking for in that league um, this year is just looking at the Toronto Six. They're going to be out of a bubble environment. And just trying to learn, you know, is the city of Toronto ready to actually support a women's hockey team? Um, because when they had the Markham Thunder and the Toronto Th- Furies, they clearly weren't quite there from a sta- uh, fan's standpoint. Um, it's something to delve into on another day. But some, in some ways, I wonder if it's a culture thing. Um, you know, down here in the States, fans are showing up for pro women's hockey. Um it's it it, other than Montreal it doesn't seem like it's super translated to so Montreal in the old CWHL days it just doesn't seem like it's translated yet in Canada so and then when when Canada lost the CWHL I think that everyone kind of did some soul searching and thinking like oh geez should we really be supporting our our women's pro teams a little bit more um so we're going to find out the answer to that question this year when Toronto um when Toronto takes to the ice, the Toronto Six, and we'll see what kind of um, fan support they have. Um, because if we want a women's pro league and we want one league and we want the best on best, that means we need to have teams in Canada. And the only way we're going to have teams in Canada is if at some point the fans in Canada show up. So having said that, moving on. Um, we're also entering into uh, year three of the PWHPA. Um, what with it being an Olympic year, it's going to be non-national team players. The whole point of the PWHPA was to, in well, had a couple of different points, but one was to increase the opportunities for non-national team players um, because in the old CWHL, what you had was um, national team players who could do 100% working on, their, working on their hockey game. And then the rosters were filled out by folks who had full-time jobs. And they want to get away from that. That's very difficult for the non-national team players. Um, and so with the PDUB having its um, mission being related to improving opportunities for non-national team players, I'm very curious to see what kind of opportunities they can put together for these guys um, in an Olympic year. I hope to see some showcases. Um, I hope that those women get 
ice time um, and just get the, the support that, you know, is necessary. You, you can't have a league full of national team players. There's not enough national team players. Um, so just the question of, of how is P-Dub going to support those non-national team players this year? How are we going to keep them, um, um, keep the thread of their story going against the backdrop of the NWHL, Olympic preparation, NCAA, and new sports? Um, we also have Worlds coming up, the Olympics, obviously. Um, Post-Olympics, is there's going to be... Um, you know, stuff is going to happen post-Olympics. There's going to either be um, a, a reconciliation where the everybody goes into the NWHL. Maybe there will be a new league. We really don't know. But at, at, at any rate, there needs to be, in my view, um, conversation around and people chatting about the possibilities, the conundrums, the drama, um, etc. around what this future landscape is going to be post-Olympics in terms of pro leagues for women's hockey. So that's another reason I wanted to start this podcast. Um, I'm looking at one of my notes here. It's illegible, so we'll just skip that one. Um, but uh, so those are some of the reasons that I wanted to start this um, podcast, um, just to have a little chance um, to talk about, oh, I read the note now, it's fans. That's another reason that the, the game's going to be so exciting next year. We've had a year without fans in the stands. Uh, they're going to be back next year. And it's just the level of excitement that it's going to provide, again, is going to contribute to, um, you know, you don't want to have that excitement happen. Great, we have fans, but then there's not any commentary on the side. So I think we all need to show up um, more than ever next year just because it's going to be such an exciting year in women's hockey. Um, um, yeah, so and, and now just looking back a little bit because that's forward-looking, all those items, um, Probably the thing that wrapped up um, the 2021 season was the um, Secret Dream Gap Tour event that occurred in Calgary. Um, and we didn't expect that to be the final event of the year. Obviously, we expected the Women's World Championship to be the final event of the year. Um, without uh, getting too much into that, obviously, it got canceled, postponed, kicked off to August, which sucks, obviously. Um, but, uh, the, I guess the fun thing is, is we're going to have a summer hockey tournament to watch. So that'll be different. Um, but, uh, when that, when that women's worlds tournament got canceled in April there, uh, very, that was just a brutal blow to the women's game. Um, you know, I, I think honestly, like people were already struggling. It had been 70 to 750 days without an IIHF game. Um, and then the long litany of other challenges women hockey had already incurred, um, which I don't need to get into, but I felt like if there was ever a time where somebody needed to show up and put something together for these women and for the fans, it was then. So thank goodness the Calgary Flames were able to partner with the PWHPA in Canada. I do not know why magically all of a sudden they were able to do an event. Um, Toronto wasn't able to do an event earlier. I guess Ontario's in a different state of lockdown than the rest of the country. Um, but thank goodness somehow, some way, they got to put on this event in Calgary. Um, it was uh, seven games, three teams. So everybody got two games, and then the best two teams played a final. Um, and it was just, it was wonderful hockey. The first four games were produced. Um, they were good. They were streamed. There was commentary. Um, there was play-by-play. -play. And then the last three games, um, they had like a professional crowd. Um 
um, produced the games. They were on Sportsnet, and they had uh, Leah Hextall and Cassie Campbell on The Call and Color. They had um, a panel of Blake Bolden, Carolyn Cameron, and Jen Botterill. So hockey stars there and a professional host. And then at the desk was Caroline Olette and Jeff Merrick. Um, and not only did they have those individuals um, contributing their talents, they also had produced, you know, openers for the games. Um, they had produced, you know, they always have those human interest stories at, as part of a game. So they had all sorts of um, so one or two minute little videos to play at the intermissions, whether it was talking about, um, you know, getting girls in the game, racism, mental health, um, different, uh, the search for a pro league, different things like that. And it was just wonderful. And it was the level of production that women's hockey, I think, um, needs in, in order to truly move to a next level um, from a fan's perspective and attaching and, and um, attaching um, like more media attention and sponsorship attention. Um, now, the games themselves, uh, it was, you know, it's hard to draw too much conclusions from these things because the the girls hadn't been playing, sorry, the women had not been playing a ton of games um, this year, and Montreal had been practicing more than Toronto, um, and Calgary had been hardly practicing at all. From a roster depth perspective, um, Toronto and Montreal were stacked, and uh, Calgary just didn't have as much. Um, so I didn't really know what to expect, but... The final three games, the games that were on TV, on Sportsnet, were fantastic and they were so entertaining. And yes, women's hockey is slower than the fastest version of men's hockey, but it was great hockey. Um, every single game was scored by, was determined by a goal or less. Um, maybe there was an empty net goal as well, um, but essentially a goal or less of those three games and um a lot of those games went into the final period tied um the they had um calgary's final game at Scotiabank. they managed to pull out a win against toronto which nobody was expecting um because and they had to come from behind to get that win but no one was expecting that just because earlier in the tournament they were still finding their legs and they, they kind of got their butts kicked a couple times um, um and then of course you know Poulin um was the star of the show um, which just from a, a, a name value, I think having your star show up for your, your showcase is, um, always a good thing. Um, so, so that was a great event. Um, I think the takeaways are, you know, you look at the Canadian, so looking ahead to worlds, right? We're like, well, what does Canada look like? And, and this was our chance to see tons of Canadian talent out there. It was wonderful to see. Um, but have to keep in mind, this was not international hockey and this was not USA versus Canada. This was, you know, CWHL level or mm, it was better than CWHL. But again, they hadn't really been playing games all year. But you just have to sort of temper in your mind what you saw. Um, I, I don't think, you know, Poulin's probably not going to dominate against the Americans the way she dominated in that tournament. Um, but she had 11 points. She led in goals and assists, and she got the game winner in the, the tournament championship game. So Poulin was Poulin. She looked healthy, blocking shots, um, shorthanded, power play, even strength. She looked awesome. No surprises there. Um, real exciting to see Kristen Campbell play for Calgary in net. Kristen Campbell um, has been selected to play in the Olympics. Um, she will. We don't really know where she's going to fit in. I think right now a person would think she's going to be the third string goalie um, behind um, Anne-Renée Desbiens, who was a Patty Kazmaier winner, 
and um, also she's a former Olympian. And then there's Emerence Mashmeyer, who is just a little bit older than Kristen Campbell. Uh, Emerence is from Alberta, um, played at Harvard, and was um, kind of the last goalie cut the last Olympics. Um, so she's very experienced and probably is just um, right now one person ahead than Kristen Campbell on the depth chart. Kristen Campbell's a Manitoba lady, graduated from Wisconsin, um, and um, was a national champion there. And what makes her very unique is that she didn't let in a single goal in that NCAA tourney that she won. So she's a very mentally tough uh, hockey player. Um, anyone who plays for Wisconsin is going to have one of the best defenses in the country ahead of them. So I think that Kristen Campbell probably didn't get as much. Um, didn't I don't think we understood necessarily how good she was. But she graduated in 19 um, and... I think that's correct. She might have graduated in... Actually, I think she graduated in 2020, now that I think about it. Didn't get that that final chance um, due to the pandemic to, to do one more um, one more NCAA uh, shot at the NCAA championship. Um, so, um, so that's... So, so, but anyway, so Christian Campbell came into this tournament and we all thought, hey, this is someone we need to keep an eye on in this tournament. Uh, she got to play the last two games for Calgary, um, and she is basically a huge part of the reason that they got that final win against Toronto. She played fantastic. I think she ended up with the second best um, kind of goalie stats and uh, save percentage in this in this tournament. Um, so really impressed um, and helped that underdog Calgary team get final in the end. Just one win in the tournament. Um, but it was the biggest, you know, it was kind of the win they really wanted, their last one at Scotiabank. Um, and even in the day before when they lost to Montreal, um, I, again, it was like a one-goal game late. Um, and they, you know, again, Kristen Campbell just played played great in that game. So really exciting, I think, from a goalie perspective uh, for Canada heading into the Olympics. And then the other thing is Kristen Campbell is just so young. Um, she can't be more than 22, 23 years old. Um, so that's exciting. Um, also on the Calgary team, I mentioned that they did not have as much depth as the other teams. Um, two of their Olympians, so their stars were basically, uh, Blair Turnbull, Rebecca Johnson, and then also on that line, they had Sarah Potomac. Sarah Potomac is not, um, centralized, so she won't be a part of the world's team, so we won't see her again until whatever she does in the P-Dub this fall as a non-national team player. But I think watching Blair Turnbull and Rebecca Johnson together was just, uh, it was it was great to see. They were very unselfish with the way that they played together. I think they both finished with around six points in the tournament. So they were like top five in terms of uh, point production in the tournament across all teams, um, despite the fact that they played one less game since they didn't make the final. Uh, but Turnbull and Johnson were just, you know, they had to carry that hockey team and they played so unselfishly with each other. They created a ton of opportunities uh, did a really good job of in the offensive zone, either on the power play or on um, even strength, sort of finding that person coming down the gut, coming down the slot. Um, and then uh, that individual, uh, regardless of which one it was, just some really nice um, redirects into the net um, for both of them. So I wouldn't mind seeing those two play together again at the world. So we will see what happens. Um, and then the last uh, comment then I think is just, you know, Lauren Gable. It was exciting to watch Lauren Gable in this tournament. She played for Sonnet and she got a goal and an assist. I thought she played fine. Um, 
I don't think she, I think she, I think if you asked her, she probably would have wished she could have got a little bit more done in this game, in this tournament. Um, you know, she would have wanted to win a championship, stating the obvious there. They were in that championship game, tied in the third period, and so I'm sure that's where Gable's focus would be. Um, but even still, you know, I felt like she got like a ton of chances and just didn't quite bury them the way that we're used to seeing her bury. Um, and then at times, so she played on a line with Spooner, um, and then also Nicole Costa, and Costa played great for the record. Um, with Gable and Spooner being na- in the national pool, I kind of, you know, was just had a little bit more of an eye on them. Gable and Spooner together, I- I'm not entirely sure what was going on, but I just didn't feel, um, they just didn't play with each other the same way that you saw Turnbull and Johnson play. Almost a little bit selfish with the puck. You know, they had a couple two on O's where a, a person just went down and shot. Um, and I don't really know what that was about, but, um, you know, we're going to have to just wait and see on the Lauren Gable, um, where she goes next in her career, uh, whether she goes NWHL, I think that that could be enticing. She could probably make 30,000 American there, or is she going to keep, um, stay with the P-Dub and keep chasing that dream of making Team Canada? And then there's also the question of, you know, does, does playing in the N-Dub hurt that dream of making Team Canada? I have, I have no idea what, what the language is behind the scenes there. Um, but Lauren Gable is one to keep an eye on, um, um, and last thing I'll, I'll, I'll end on, you know, I had thought for a solo podcast, I should try to keep it to 20 minutes. Here I am at 30 minutes. Um, so lots for me to work on as I, you know, work on this little podcast adventure. But, uh, one of the things that was so awesome that I think represented progress in the women's hockey, uh, media landscape was watching Caroline Olette, um, give her, um, commentary at the desk between periods. It was awesome to see her shed some light on what Hockey Canada might have been thinking when they selected players or didn't select players. So with regard to Lauren Gable, she talked about Lauren needing to get to the dirty areas of the ice. And, and I thought, oh, okay, well, let's watch Lauren. Let's, And sure enough, Lauren does like to play maybe a little bit above the hash marks. And I thought, oh, okay, so now I know what Hockey Canada is maybe thinking. Um, to Lauren's credit, she's very responsible. She's one of the first forwards back, so... Um, and then often leading the breakout. So I thought, I was like, oh, okay, well, there's the flip side of it. But it was just nice to hear Carolyn's um, perspective on it. And then the same thing with Jesse Eldridge. You know, early in the tournament, she talked about, you know, Jesse Eldridge's fitness. And Eldridge looked great in the tournament. In the end, um, I think she was second in points overall. But uh, again, just Caroline Olette sort of sharing that kind of gave us um, some, as fans, as consumers, um, just a little bit more of a window into what the powers that be might have been thinking. Um, and I think that that's something that's often been missing in women's hockey. Um, I'm so jealous on the guy's side um, when it's like they just, you know, hey, hey, Bob McKenzie or Elliot Friedman, like what's going on here? And those guys have all the answers or spill the tea, as Lindsay Eastwood might say. Um, and so to, to sort of be moving in that direction on the women's side where we have, um, you know, somebody who's connected that will share with the consumers, the viewers, um, is just, uh, really enriches the experience of being a fan. So I really enjoyed that. Um, so, you know, the only way to, to end this is, is, uh, to, to do what we might see on a men's hockey podcast where you get a couple women's minutes at the end. We're going to do the reverse on this podcast. Uh, we'll give you just a couple minutes of men's hockey talk here. Uh, so last night, you know, I, 
I try to catch the NHL playoffs here and there. I can't sit down and watch a whole game. Just don't have that uh, the the passion to to devote those kind of hours. Um, and then if something goes to overtime, I'm out. But yesterday, I actually did sit down for a couple of minutes and and watch um, the overtime of Montreal, Winnipeg. Uh, it's over for Winnipeg now, but. Uh, just uh, got to see that final goal that somebody was grinding in the corner. Um, number 14's just taking a beat down in the corner. 14 on uh, the Canadians. This is me talking about men's hockey. If you think this sounds terrible, sometimes that's what it sounds like when uh, someone talks women's hockey who's just not not into it. But anyway, so I was watching this goal. 14 in the corner, Canadians, just taking a beat down. And then teeny, teeny tiny little uh, Cole Caulfield comes in, smart little player, slippery little guy, good for him, just out of college, uh, just kind of, he's a righty, pucks in the right-hand corner, grabs the puck off the corner, puts it through somebody's legs, and finds, I think it was, uh, I don't even know the guy's name, Tafoli, is that his name? Uh, so he, uh, Caulfield just passes across the crease to Tafoli, who one times it in the net beautiful goal and um you know Caulfield and and Toffoli if I'm even saying that name right they're going to get all the credit but I just watching the play it was 14 taking the beat down in the corner uh who who caught my eye um and in you know this Cole Caulfield you know we thought that it was you know Connor McDavid or um Austin Matthews who was going to be the story to try to carry the ratings as 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 the Canadian team comes down here uh, it's it's Cole Caulfield. I mean, he's American. He's at fresh out of Wisconsin. The college hockey fans love him. Um, so and and you know he's who I'm kind of watching. As 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 uh, Canada's team has now has to be the Canadians. Um, he's who I'm watching um, when 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 Montreal comes down here for for the semifinals. Um, really happy for Carey Price. He's always been such a um, my understanding, just a wonderful ambassador for the game. Um, but had, and he has that massive contract that probably weighs him down, but not too much. He gets all that money too. Um, and, uh, it seems like whenever I just like, oh, Carrie Price is injured. I feel like, you know, these are just narratives that break through into my timeline as somebody who doesn't follow a ton of men's hockey. Um, but I'm very happy for Carrie Price that this is happening. Um, and then last but not least, you know, been hearing a little bit about Corey Perry, kind of, uh, the old man that's, you know, every, every, Every team that goes deep in the playoffs has a grizzly old, grizzly old guy on their team. Um, and uh, I was watching the handshake line yesterday, and I had been hearing about, you know, Corey Perry, old, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, who's that old dude, blah, blah, blah. I read the back of the jersey, it's Perry. I'm like, oh, my God, so grizzled, so old. I look him up, and sure enough, he's younger than me. So uh, that was a humbling thing. On that, um, it is Tuesday, Tuesday morning. Um, I will get on with my day. My kids are probably waking up, um, and I got to start hustling them out, dinner or breakfast, brush the teeth, lunches, and out the door. So thanks for listening. I hope to chat more with um, you, a little bit more hockey. Um, and um, just, uh, yeah, just very excited about for the what's coming up in women's hockey and, and hoping to uh, share my, my insights a little bit. Thanks for listening to Stops and Starts, and I'll talk to you soon.